I'm McKinney Smith. In 2009, while going through a divorce, I decided to jump straight into entrepreneurship. In 2012, I lost my sister and asked myself, what legacy do I want to leave behind? Since then, I've become a serial entrepreneur, helping other women publish their books, produce their podcasts, and reach their big goals to walk in their greatness. I realized the importance of sharing our stories of resilience and how it can be another's guide to walk in a manner worthy of their calling. We are blessed to be a blessing. So get ready to be blessed with an inspiring testimony. Hey, Legacy Leavers, thank you for joining us on the Awaken My Stilettos podcast, where we have conversations with amazing women that are letting us step into their shoes. I help women to own their voice so they can create impact, prosperity, and legacy. I get inspired when I see another woman succeeding, but what interests me more is her backstory and her mindset on how she got there. Today, we have Leanne Buchanan. She is a writer and strategic advisor. She supports leaders and communities bridge systemic access and opportunity gaps with a focus on cultivating radically equipable, diverse, and inclusive technology, innovation, and entrepreneurial ecosystems. She has advised innovation and technology leaders at Fortune 500 companies, including Google, Facebook, Delta, Airbnb, and more. And as a founder, she has launched ventures from concept to scale, raising over $3.5 million in equity-free capital for various projects and ventures. Leanne is the founder of Naya Project, which provides transformative leadership fellowships abroad, and tech-enabled college access coaching for diverse youth from disadvantaged backgrounds. And she currently serves as the president of Air Ventures, a venture studio and strategy consultancy. She co-hosts also the Innovation City podcast. So please welcome to the show, Leanne. I'm so excited to be here and thank you, McKinney, for having me on. I can't wait to to dive in. <laughs> well, thank you so much for agreeing to come on and share your story with us. I know, I don't even remember what year it was. I feel like it was like maybe 2018, 2019. I had the opportunity to do a fireside chat with you when I was in Miami at an event and interview you on stage. And it's been an honor to stay connected with you since and to watch you grow. So thank you for saying yes. Awesome. My pleasure. So I want to jump straight into your story. I mean, even just even in reading your bio, I'm like, girl, okay. Like you, (laughs) you are able to wear so many hats and, I don't know how you manage. So before we even get into, you know, where you are today, I, I'd like to start with an icebreaker question and just jump into, you know, what did you want to be as a little girl? Like, what were your aspirations then? Yeah, it's interesting. I always wanted to be a lawyer. Um, I'm Jamaican by heritage uh, and first generation outside of Jamaica to grow up in North America. And so like most children of immigrants, you've got a couple of choices, doctor, mm-hmm. lawyer, engineer, or accountant. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I selected lawyer. And it's, and I now in my latter years, I recognize how much influence may have 
exerted on my decision making. <laughs> but back then, <laughs> lawyers seemed great. They seemed like people that were super smart, and I've always valued intellectual capacity. They seemed like they could actually exert influence in a way that got things done. And when you saw mm -hmm. lawyers on TV, people just seemed to respect them. Um, they seemed to be able to uh, stand up against the powers that be and, and quite often be successful. So I did always want to be an attorney. Um, I am still a, an attorney licensed to practice, but I like to say I'm recovering because I have <laughs> navigated on <laughs> to other things. <laughs> so, okay. So tell, tell us your story, your journey of how you got to where you are today to this woman wearing so many titles and doing all these amazing things. So one story of becoming, I think gets more interesting, the older you are. Um, and for years I had, and even to some degree now felt like I didn't really have a story worth sharing. Like, you know, comparatively, I would think other people's stories were much more interesting. But I'm I'm in, I'm from Canada, born mm -hmm. in um, Toronto, East York General Hospital, and I grew up in Vancouver on the West Coast. And my story is I've always been just curious and fascinated with intellectual pursuits. So it's mm -hmm. probably no wonder that I do a lot of different things because I'm insatiably curious. I went to performing arts high school at Langley Fine Arts in, in uh, Fort Langley, uh, British Columbia. And I finished high school when I was 16. I skipped a couple of grades. And when wow. I was 16, I left home and I moved to the US and I attended college at an HBCU, uh, Bethune-Cookman uh, University. And there I got a chance to really get immersed into different cultures. I studied international affairs and I minored in piano performance. And that's an interesting data point because of a lot of the work that I do now um, gets me kind of globe trotting and, <laughs> and connected with different countries. But ultimately, I finished uh, college uh, early as well. I finished college when I was 19 and I went to law school and I practiced, started practicing law when I was about 23. So a little bit earlier than most. And I had a pretty good career in law doing, you know, really fascinating cases, complex uh, business litigation. You know, you heard about Bernie Madoff and, and Ponzi schemes. I was involved in a lot of those litigations after <laughs> the fact, obviously. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and after I was practicing law and getting really involved in the community, I started my program, um, the NIA Project, which is, as you mentioned at the outset, a, an organization that really is helping to develop the next generation of leaders, but more importantly, looking at how we can get more black and brown kids to have access to college mm -hmm. um, and ideally without paying for it. Because unfortunately, at least in the United States, the data shows that only 50.7% of African-American kids who graduate from high school actually matriculate to college and only 63.4% of Latino students. So the disparities are wow. quite striking. And I started that program first as a leadership endeavor, just to provide exposure. I felt like everything I learned as a leader, I learned by doing and not in a book necessarily mm -hmm. and not in a mm -hmm. class. It's through the classroom of the world. And so I thought, what would it look like for me to get friends, get you know my firm and other firms to donate money so I could take kids from low-income neighborhood over town, which we were in um, when, when you were in Miami with us, 
to Africa, to Ghana, for them mm-hmm. to have a transformative leadership experience. So I started that program in 2014. And since then, we've probably had about close to 80 graduates, um, 100% have gotten into college, 98% have won scholarships. And wow. we don't have the numbers for 2021 yet, but so far, at least $10.4 million in scholarships have been won through wow. the NIA project. And that is the initiative that made me realize that I don't think I want to practice law anymore. I want to do something that has a larger impact on the world. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to do something that allows for me to use the talents and skills that maybe I wasn't so comfortable in acknowledging to really see how I can um, shift the trajectory of people's lives and mm-hmm. uniquely create platforms that can just transform communities. And that's when I found my way into tech, tech and innovation, which is where I am now. Um, up until uh, this year, I was for, for five years, the founding director of an organization called Venture Cafe Miami. Uh, we rebranded, but in five years, we were able to serve over 50,000 innovators in South Florida and host wow. the largest convening of tech innovation and entrepreneurship in um, in the region. And partner with a thousand organizations. But what's exciting is that was a space of true serendipitous collisions, a space of true diversity where you could have someone that has a $10.5 billion fund talking to a high school student with an idea from a Mm. low-income community. And so that convergence of culture, socioeconomic lines uh, was what I like to call alchemy. It's, it's, It's absolute magic. And that's kind of what really inspires me to do the work that I do. Wow. Wow. Like, okay, so, I mean, you had me at, you know, you where you finished school, you skipped a couple of grades, you know, finished school at 16, and then you went on to talking about graduating college at 19. I'm thinking to myself, okay, so because I had my first child at 17, um, I think I started college at around 20. 21. <laughs> so I'm, I'm like doing the math and I'm like, okay. And then I'm listening <laughs> to you talk. And I'm like, okay, so you're just brilliant. That's fine. Um, so <laughs> how has it been like navigating, you know, professional environments in tech and innovation as a black woman? Oof, that's a loaded question. Um, mm. So the work that I do um, is really around how do I help make tech and innovation ecosystems more ready. And ready is an acronym for racially equitable, diverse, and inclusive. And I've always been in that space, even as a lawyer with some of the community advocacy work that I did. But for me, it's really personal because I didn't think that I belonged in the tech ecosystem. Yes, I was Mm -hmm. leading this organization and actually just uh, did the first draft of my first book. And I talk a little bit about your identity Mm-hmm. as an innovator like your and and your personal capacity to innovate is so much tied to your identity and for me i was like you know the story the story that like articulates the best is i was interviewing for my job my 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 role at venture cafe and i met with a friend who had actually unbeknownst to me like recommended me and we were prepping cuz i'm a lawyer and so we prepared for everything <laughs> and i went up to his office to like get some insider information on the tech ecosystems and data points so i could really craft a plan for this interview ultimately i wasn't even sure if i wanted the job but i'm as you could probably guess i like to do things well i'm achievement oriented mm-hmm. so i wanted to prepare and his colleague who i know very well now and have nothing negative to say his colleague, who's kind of like a very matter of fact person, was like, "What make what should make this company hire you? 
you're a lawyer. What do you mm. know about tech? And mm. those words, he didn't know it at the time, but those words really called out the inner imposter syndrome that I continue to have around mm. my identity as an innovator. Um, it's not until recently that I'm actually like saying I'm a creative, like I just produced my first documentary and directed a documentary. And awesome. now I can say I'm a creative. Thanks. And an innovator, <laughs> like you think that innovators are these white guys from like the show Silicon Valley or these people in lab coats that like have a million degrees. Mm-hmm. We don't as people of color, as women, as black people in particular, think that we are innovative because so much of the messaging we receive in society Mm-hmm. tells us that who we are is not innovative when the really fiber of our being the way we approach things our cultural ingenuity we are naturally innovators like yes. that is why everybody's always trying to appropriate what we do yes. but it's a disconnect mentally and so it's been a challenge wow like okay even in that like i'm i'm sure even being in that space like you said it's it's been a challenge in itself but when I was, you know, doing my research and reading like your long version of your bio and all that stuff, I'm like, how do you balance so many hats? I, I know I feel like as women, we already feel like, you know, we multitask and we're able to function and do so many things at one time. But like, how do you manage all of that? So I, I have three superpowers and they are strategy, connection and communication. Mm. And I literally think in frameworks and models. That's why I'm always being able to see connection points that maybe other people can't see. Um, There's like six books that I want to write that are around frameworks for really translating being intentional and purposeful into practice. And so for me, there are two particular strategic things that I do that allow for me to have a high degree of output, a high degree of, of achievement, but also stay grounded. So the first one I'll say is a practice called SPACE. And SPACE is an acronym for spiritual, physical, accountability, awareness, creative, and emotional engagement. Most recently, during the global pandemic, I really got a a chance to dig into and develop more discipline around my SPACE practice. So I typically have between three to five hours to myself every morning, non-negotiable. I don't care you know, what happens. Um, Mm -hmm. And and I run my own shop and I have the autonomy of running my own organization. So I can do that. And and we work remotely. But for me, it is getting up and ideally doing a HIIT workout, but I've been a little bit lazy. So I've just been running a couple miles, but like doing a HIIT workout or going for a run and then writing, I really love to write. And so I ideally am spending an hour, 90 minutes working on a book or a writing project. Um, I have a practice around uh, Blueprint, which I'll talk to you about in a second. But Blueprint is just a method of creating a, a strategy and system for your goal setting. So I check on my Blueprint and every day I say, what are the things I'm going to do? And I sit there and I write about it. Um, I journal um, and that's my emotional engagement to create more awareness Mm-hmm. around how I'm feeling internally and 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 how the external environment is kind of um, giving me signs or giving me points of reflection. And that's it. Like it's those practices, understanding my, my personal space practices help me get a sense of balance. And when I do those, and I spend about five hours in myself and, and spiritual time, then I can do anything throughout the day because I have invested in myself first mm-hmm. and then I can pour into other people. The other strategy um, is something called blueprint strategy. And it's 
honestly, it's something I've been doing on my own. And only recently in the last three years that I open it up to sharing other people, sharing with other people, the method, but it's basically the idea that your goals require a strategy. You mm-hmm. have to develop systems around how you can actually achieve your goals. And they have to be frameworks that are flexible, nothing mm-hmm. that's set in stone. And so with the blueprint method, you know, there are goals that I set for the year, typically in three domains of my life this year, it's around impact, passion, and relationships. And I intentionally focus over the quarter, over the month, over the week, and reflect and track and make sure that I am being thoughtful around how I'm spending my time. I think that my goals um, are really a barometer for my time and opportunities, and it's what I use to measure where I'm going to focus my energy. And so I find that the blueprint method um, that just has some practices on how to just be focused and strategic is really what allows for me to see connections and opportunities and then activate the universe and God to (laughs) really conspire for my will. Wow. Okay. So I want you to repeat the acronym for space because you said it so quickly and then you went into, um, you you broke it down how how you practice it. And I love it because I honestly believe that we do need to fill our cups first and to take care of ourselves and to practice self-care and self-love before we start pouring into other people. So I totally believe in that, but I want you to um, repeat the acronym for those that are listening so that they can implement that as well. Yeah, so SPACE is an acronym for uh, spiritual, um, physical, accountability, awareness, creative, and emotional engagement. I love it. Love it, love it, love it. So, um, okay, you you mentioned the, I guess, um, the pandemic and having to... um, I guess, pivot, like how has that Mm -hmm. affected how you serve? That's, that's a great question. So like so many people, um, last year was challenging. And I think it, it was, for me, it was the pandemic year was a year of extremes, extraordinary highs and extraordinary lows. On the low side, I had some serious, serious health challenges unrelated to the COVID-19 in my family that just kept us in literally a constant state of um, alarm and and stress for about eight and a half months straight. And so that was like, you're just kind of like in this fight or flight, um, but Mm -hmm. I'm more of a... Hype, this is this, this your, your parasympathetic system is on for eight mm-hmm. and a half months straight. And so that did not bode well. On um, the professional side, I had some real challenges professionally, in just some specific professional challenges that made me come to some deep realizations about what type of organization do I want to lead? What type of leader do I want to be? What type of partnerships do I want to engage with? And what type of impact do I want to have? And it made mm-hmm. me and my team completely re- reevaluate. So we lost 98% of our revenue as a nonprofit because we were events driven. Not surprised because mm-hmm. I'd seen that there was a challenge in the business model. So I've been thinking about this for a while. And so we went through a massive restructuring to reimagine what, what, what could we do with the goodwill, the assets, the, the reputation, uh, the impact we've had on the city, and then reimagine a structure that is racially equitable, 
um, that is supportive and a safe place for amazing, talented people to work, that has a sustainable business model uh, that allows us to take our talents and consideration and, and mind and designing an organization. And then also allows for freedom um, for folks to move on when they want to mm-hmm. move on, when they feel like they've actually contributed what they could contribute, which is a really different approach to organizational design. And at the same time, I was able to raise, you know, close to, I think about $750,000, $800,000 during wow. the year. Um, and then I've subsequently raised another million in the last month. So wow. it's worked out well. It's worked out well. Wow. That's awesome. That is awesome. Okay. So when you think about I don't know, with what you were dealing with, um, with your family stuff and with COVID. And I want to ask what, like, what keeps you up at night? What makes you think about the full impact of what you want to do or the legacy that you want to leave behind or how you want to make a difference in the world? So it's interesting up until just this week. So the timing is perfect. (laughs) I realized that I had been in survival mode. Mm-hmm. Um, one, it's interesting. My mother has a chronic illness. Um, I think you and I probably talked about this. And so she has lupus. And so my entire life, I've always been in survival mode. Uh, mm-hmm. my sister and I, you know, 2020 like for a lot of people brought up a lot of stuff. Um, mm-hmm. so for me, first time in my life, I realized I had some serious issues with unworthiness and began to unpack what was the source of the trauma that maybe, uh, created that perception of the world. Uh, for mm-hmm. me. So really understanding and doing a lot of reading and thinking and, and prayer and reflection around where is this coming from? How is it how is it showing up in my life and how how can I be aware of it so I can not let it um continue to influence or drive my decisions. Mm-hmm. Second thing that we've talked about a lot, you know, my mom was the one that was that was ill last year was the way in which we were raised. And it's and I think this level of being able to suspend judgment and observe with curiosity that you have in your adulthood no blame, but you begin to see where in your childhood, certain things contributed to who you are. And so when you have a parent that is chronically ill, I never felt neglected. I always felt taken care of, but there was an emotional capacity that just didn't get passed on. It was more focused on giving me and equipping me with the skills to survive because you weren't sure if she wasn't sure Mm -hmm. if she was going to be around. Her parents aren't sure if they're going to be there. So you're like, you know, be amazing. Hence the, you know, graduating at 16, graduating at 19 and <laughs> on my second career at age 35, right? right. Um, it's, it's your ability to articulate uh, because if you don't have a parent, you're going to have to learn how to speak and people will trust what you say on your own. It's the exposure mm-hmm. to so many things so that you don't get deprived of anything. But some of the most important skill sets, like the relational skill sets, like vulnerability, um, the empathy in practice, um, the ability to engage with your emotions and develop emotional agility. Those are things that up until last year, I thought I had, and I did have, but I, 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 that was, those are areas for growth uh, mm-hmm. for me. Mm-hmm. And so what I've, the long winded way of, of getting to your question is, you know, I now have learned how to articulate my own needs in a way that I don't think I had before Mm -hmm. because you know always trying to be a caregiver or trying to please or not rock the boat because things are you just don't want to you know create too much trouble you I developed um practices and habits around just not saying what I want 
or putting my needs last and always looking at how I can develop solutions that were for other people. So in restructuring our organization, it was really like, I have a team and people that rely on me to eat. How do mm. I restructure to save everybody's job and, and continue to have impact? Um, but I don't think I ever asked myself, what is it that I want to do? And, and so those are questions that I've been really thinking about. Like, what is my mantra? You know, it's people, purpose, impact over everything else. When mm-hmm. I think about what I want my headstone to say, I thought about this question this weekend. And what I'd love my headstone to say is, you know, Leanne was a visionary thinker who was able to translate purpose into practice and create tools for others to do the same. That's wow. ultimately who I am and what I want to do. I love that. And I, you know what? Okay. So I love that for so many reasons. One, because when you said what you want written on your headstone, I know for some people that may sound morbid, but the fact of the matter is none of us are getting out of here alive. And when we look at the impact that we want to make and how we want to make people feel and the difference that we want to make in the world, it allows us to live each day with more purpose. So I love that you thought about those things. Like sometimes I bring those topics up and people are like, wow, like, why are we talking about this? I don't want to talk about this. Like they want to avoid, you know, the whole topic of what's going to happen when they're no longer here. So um, I love the positivity and the, the intention behind all of that. And I love that you even spoke to the point of growing up with a parent with chronic illness and how when you're a child, the things obviously that happen as a child affect your desires and your behavior as adults. And I've, I've had conversations with people that, you know, I'll talk about things that may have happened 10, 20 years ago. And they're like, well, wow, like you even still think about that. And it's like, well, it definitely affects you. You may have suppressed some things, but it's Mm -hmm. there. Like who we are as people today is formed based on our childhood experiences and how we were cared for and what we were taught back then. And just like yourself, I've gone through, say, like the past year, really digging deep and focusing and being more aware of things that happened in my childhood, that like childhood wounds, childhood traumas, things that needed to be worked on so that I can be a better version of me to create a greater impact and to leave a greater legacy. So I love that you even brought all of those things up. I'm actually currently reading a book I think uh, so. Oprah and a, I think it's a psychologist, oh, um, Dr. What Bruce happened to you? Perry. Yes, yes, what that's my next you? read. <laughs> I'm currently reading that and mind blown. So there's Oof, a part yes. where um, they're talking about, you know, approaching every situation with empathy. And oftentimes someone will do something or say something or, you know, behave a certain way. And we're like, what is wrong with you? But rather than asking what's wrong with you and coming from a place of judgment, come from a place of empathy and say, what happened to you? Because we, we all do things based on like, and I truly believe that every single person that we connect with, you're not just connecting with that person, you're connecting with that person and all of their past traumas and experiences and everything that has happened to them. So when we come from a place of empathy and compassion, we interact with people differently. Instead of getting upset about certain things, you try to understand why that person is behaving the way that they're behaving or doing what they're doing. So yeah, everything you just said was like, I don't know, it, it was hitting all, the, all these points with me. I love it. And it, it's, it's interesting. The seven habits of highly effective people, it's habit number five, seek first to understand before you seek to be understood. Mm-hmm. It's the same, it's, it's, it's really the, the clearest articulation of what it means to have empathy. Um, mm-hmm. And then, but people don't understand how to do that, which mm-hmm. is what I'm fascinated with is how do I 
how do you explain what that looks like in practice? Like we use these esoteric terms like empathy or, you know, I think leaders should be excellent, intentional, empathetic and have integrity. Like, what does that really mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think this, this new book by Oprah and, and Dr. Perry really helps us give some steps, some tools mm-hmm. to say, yeah. What, what might have happened in this person's life or asking what happened to you or imagining that perhaps there's more to them than their behavior and not mm-hmm. indicting people's character based off of how they show up in a particular instance. Right, exactly. And, and even when you say that with like from a particular instance. So for example, um, you know, I've had in the past where someone may have had a negative interaction or experience with someone and they will automatically write that person off as a bad person. And it's like, you had that one time interact that could have been, you know, that person could have just lost a loved one or been going through, you know, a really tough time. And you're writing them off based on that one particular instance, not knowing that there was something deeper there. And there's been many times where I've been able to reconnect people because, you know, someone will come to me and say, well, that person wasn't nice to me the first time I met them because such and such and such. I'm like, actually that day, like, you know, her husband just left her. Like some, like there was always something, and it's like, oh, <laughs> so you're a little more understanding of you know what happened to that person rather than automatically judging them and being like, what's mm-hmm. wrong with you? But yeah, I I cannot wait to dig deeper into that that book. But um, before we go any further, before we go to the final segment of the show, I want you to tell people where they can stay connected with you online to get more from you. The best way to stay connected with me is on Instagram. Because as McKinney knows, like I am always on. <laughs> like you can actually get me faster on a DM than a text or an email. So my Same. handle is, <laughs> yeah, exactly, is at Leanne L E I G H A N N dot Buchanan B U C H A N A N, and you can always reach out to me through my website, which is LeanneBuchanan dot com. So L E I G H A N N B U C H A N A N dot com. Perfect. So I will definitely have the direct links for people to um, connect with you in the detailed section below the episode. So they don't have to search too far. They can just click and find you instantly. Awesome. So the final segment of the show, I call it a walk in her wisdom. And it's just a couple of quick reflection questions. And you share the first thing that comes to mind. It could be either one word or one sentence. Okay. All right. If you could have a gigantic billboard anywhere with anything on it, what would it say and why? It would say people, purpose, and impact over everything else because that is a rule by which I live by and it helps for me to gain perspective and get clarity on what's important. Love it. What have you become better at saying no to in the last five years? And that could be distractions, invitations, family... In the last five years, particularly in the last six months, I have become (laughs) better at saying no to people who want access to my genius, but have no desire for mutual investment. I'm breaking my own rules here, but I want want to like, (laughs) I want to dig into this (laughs) because, okay, so here's the thing. I think 
the pandemic in itself has has done a couple of things, obviously. But from from one place, it's allowed a lot of us to really check our boundaries, our boundaries for Mm -hmm. self-care and for wellness, because we've realized how many people were taking advantage of it. And then I also feel like the pandemic has also shown those people that do not have a mutual respect for your time and for your energy and they don't know boundaries and it like it's almost like mm-hmm. the more that i set boundaries the more people I, I see showing that they don't they don't respect boundaries yeah it, it i think for me i understood that my lack of boundaries in certain instances was rooted in a sense of unworthiness about what type of relationships i deserved in my life mm-hmm. and also and also a lack of clarity that my superpowers have unique value Mm-hmm. Um, and, and while I have these amazing accolades and people are like, you're literally one of the smartest people I've ever met. I could never believe that. Mm-hmm. I have a friend that continues to say like, you're literally one of the most amazing people, like the way your brain works. Fascinating. But mm-hmm. I didn't believe that. And I wouldn't allow myself to believe that. And I think now I'm saying, well, God created me obviously to do amazingly impactful things at a bigger scale than, and then perhaps the next person. So I owe it to myself to believe in my genius, to believe that I'm worthy of certain types of relationships and then not to accept anything less. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, I want to say ditto because I, <laughs> I feel the exact same way. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. I was listening to a podcast, uh, I think it was last week. So I'm obsessed with Jay Shetty's podcast and, um, oh, yes. <laughs> Yeah, I think I just have a, a crush on him anyway. But um, I was listening to his podcast and he was interviewing Will Smith and they've spent the past year together. Will has been studying with him on his spiritual practices. So the conversation was super enlightening, but Will opened up about the fact that before Mandela passed away, he had an opportunity to um, be mentored by him and he didn't think he deserved it. With all mm-hmm. of his accolades, with all the things that he had done and Mandela kept kept saying to him like, you know, you need to come and spend some time with me. You need to come and spend some time with me. And he, his own self-doubt and I guess feelings of unworthiness, he didn't take that opportunity to do that because he didn't feel worthy. And it's like, you never know what someone else is dealing with on the inside, you know, their inner battles that they're dealing with, no matter how many accolades you see them with, no matter how pretty you see someone is, no matter, like there's, you never know how someone is feeling on the inside. Exactly. And oftentimes we fail to develop an internal sense of who we are and why we're valuable. Mm -hmm. Uh, and that's what it has a lot. Like for me, I'm like, okay, I know why I'm not going to swear, but I know why God created me Mm -hmm. and what value I have to bring that's uniquely mine and something that I had to discover. So when you go through this journey of self-discovery, you go through this journey of awareness, which I think is actually the intersection of purpose and curiosity. That's where Mm -hmm. awareness lives. Mm -hmm. You are able then to understand that most of the things that come your way in terms of opportunities are not for you, but for your ability to leverage them to impact the lives of others. So now I reframe Mm -hmm. to serve. Exactly. Now I reframe and say, well, I hate being public. I'm like, I'd rather just kind of be quiet, stay below the radar. And then I'm like, no, because the more that I actually like, we'll say, you know, be on a podcast or, you know, um, speak or put my thoughts out there on Instagram, which I recently started doing 
that actually is there mm-hmm. to help people. Everything yep. you're given is for the purpose of someone else. Absolutely. I 1000% agree. I always say that our stories may be about us, but they're not only for us. And it's like, people will, you know, come to me with their goals for coaching and stuff and say, well, you know, how can I monetize this? Or how can I do this? And it's like, okay, well, money is a reward for service. First, let's look at how, how are you able to use your area of genius to serve? And then we can look at how we're going to monetize that. But I just feel like some people don't realize the power in service and not only the power in terms of, I'm going to say what you can do for others, but also the power and how it can make you feel. I literally wake up every day excited to do the things that I do because I know that it's making Mm -hmm. a difference in someone else's life, whether it be a coaching call or putting out, you know, educational content on social or inspirational content or doing these podcasts, like having these conversations. I know when I originally started and I'm totally going off uh, on a tangent here (laughs) from our, (laughs) but when I started the podcast, I had no idea what I was doing and I just really wanted to share other women's stories, but because of the impact that it's had and because of the feedback that I've gotten and the DMS and all the messages and emails, I'm like, I know that it's making an impact and a difference. And it makes me feel so good inside to be able to, to serve and to help other women to walk in their greatness and to not feel like, you know, their stories aren't good enough or to, you know, not feel like, um, they can't do certain things because they'll hear stories like yours where they can resonate, they can relate. You know, maybe they are first generation um, Canadians or Americans from Caribbean parents, and you know, like the, it just shows people what is possible. And it's like I use this as a platform. It's like it's like my version of ministry <laughs> to serve. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And it's about knowing your ministry, which is often rooted in your talents and superpowers. Mm-hmm. And then I think as women, last like lastly, just pinpoint this this tangent that we're on we also have to reevaluate our relationship with money yes money is a reward for service but money and wealth building allows us to level the playing field and really amplify what we're doing Mm -hmm. in a way that we wouldn't be able to and so for me it's like okay no I actually I've always wanted to be rich I don't know what what kind of craziness I was on a couple of years ago. So now I'm back to, <laughs> I do want to be rich because I know the way in which I redistribute wealth is going to be equitable. It's going to mm-hmm. be, you know, making sure I'm supporting women, making sure I'm giving the programs like the ones that I've started, making sure that I'm like creating opportunities for people, which is different than when other folks get money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I love that you even pointed that part out because I truly believe like money is a, a tool to yes, make our lives more comfortable, but to also serve on a larger scale. Because if you don't have any money, how, how are you going to provide more for people who are underserved or underprivileged? You know, like I love to do yep. things like going out and providing care packages to the homeless. Like I need more money to do that. Like, do you know what I mean? There's exactly. things that money allows us to do and to serve on a larger scale. So I love that you said that, you know, so I guess you kind of just answered my next question, which was, what do you wish women would do more of? So <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yes. make more money, make more money. I love it. I love it. (laughs) Okay. So last but not least, what new belief, behavior, or habit has improved your life in the last five years? 
Well, this one's going to be raw. And again, it's the last six months is I made a commitment to really work on improving my relational capacity in part because I've had challenges with emotional detachment, you know, um, mm. avoided attachment behavior, a lot of the things and lack of vulnerability. And so I have created part like intentional relationships around accountability and then also growth. Like I have a partner who we've both committed to helping each other grow, like helping mm-hmm. each other meet our, our respective individual goals. Maybe there's goals we're going to set together, but it's really provided me with a deeper, deeper level of learning and healing in a way that I know that I want to keep doing this for the rest of my mm-hmm. life, like being intentional about being in a, in a vulnerable and open relationship with people and partnering around things that I would typically keep to myself and say, I can do this all by myself. And so I guess the long and short of it is I have shifted from a life practice of independence to a life practice of interdependence. Mm. And it has exponentially improved the quality of my existence here on earth. I love that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank (laughs) you so much, Leanne, for all of your honesty and your wisdom and your truth and your genius. Thank you so, so much for sharing your story with us. I truly appreciate you. Oh, no, it was a pleasure. Thank you. Um, I hope it adds value. Oh, definitely. Most definitely. You definitely made my night. So thank you. (laughs) 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 And to all of you legacy leavers out there until next time, don't forget to subscribe and rate the show. And you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And I just want to thank all of you who continue to listen each and every week to these inspiring stories of resilience and helping us to rank globally in the top 2% of most popular shows out of all podcasts. So I would love if you could jump over to our website, awakamistilettos.com and join the community of Legacy Leavers. And if you can think of one person that would receive value from today's show, please share it with them. Feel free to screenshot this week's episode and you can tag us on Instagram. You can tag Leanne at Leanne.Buchanan and you can tag myself at The Real McKinney Smith and continue to walk in your stilettos in a manner worthy of your calling. <laughs>